0: Please join me now in John chapter 19. John 19, we're in a series of messages. We have been looking directly at Jesus and listening to Jesus. We spent months in the upper room with Jesus. We left that upper room and we went into the garden and we saw Jesus there. Then last week, we considered Jesus in a series of interrog- series of trials. And today we're gonna hear him and see him as he suffers more abuse and more humiliation in the hours leading up to his crucifixion for us. So this time that we have looking directly at Jesus is so critical for us. You know, it's possible if we're not careful, if we're not intentional, we could lose Jesus and all of the truths that we talk about. I know when a young person goes off to seminary, sometimes they'll warn them, hey, listen, don't lose Jesus there. And all the Greek study and Hebrew study and the homiletics and hermeneutics, all these great things, don't lose Jesus. And you know it can happen in a church. All the teaching, all the preaching, and we might reduce Christianity down to a system of rules or a system of doctrines, and we can't let that happen. Now, sound doctrine critical, never been more critical. So this isn't a false choice. Keep the sound doctrine. We're going to keep being rooted in the truth. But simultaneously, we must maintain a warm hearted love for Jesus. And that's the goal for today. As we look at Jesus, as he endures even more for us, we love him and we want to love him more. When people express interest in Staples Mill Road Baptist Church and want to get a handle on what we're about, I usually start with something like this. Well, we're all about Jesus, I'll say this oftentimes, Jesus is the only hero in our story. It's all about Jesus. And in our Route 33 class, our new member class, we talk about our core values as a church. And the first one that I mentioned to the people is this, that our core value is loving Jesus. Here's how we've written it in our new member guide. We love Jesus. We're captivated by him. His love motivates us and causes us to rejoice and worship. He's our Savior, Lord, and life. So that's what our church says about ourselves. Let me ask you, is that true of you? Do you love Jesus? Is Jesus your life? And I pray that God will use this passage today as we look at Jesus suffering for us to cause you to love him like you've never loved him before. So let's go into our text here. John 19, we'll pick up in verse 1. Notice first with me, Jesus was beaten and mocked. John 19, 1. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Remember last time we were in the garden, and we saw Jesus taken out of that garden toward, toward these trials. And there were three quick Jewish trials, first to Annas, then to Caiaphas, then to the Sanhedrin. And there they pronounced Jesus worthy of death from their understanding of the law, rejecting their Messiah. But then came after that, these quick Roman trials there with Pontius Pilate. Then Luke tells us also to Herod, and then back to Pilate. And already at this point, we've seen that Pilate already knows there's nothing in Jesus worthy of crucifixion. Already Pilate's looking for a way to release Jesus, but these religious leaders have outmaneuvered him. They've boxed him in to do their wishing. So, to appease these Jewish leaders, Pilate has Jesus whipped. These Roman soldiers, they flog him, they scourge him, and they mock him. <clears throat> So scholars knowledgeable about Roman execution and their punishments tell us that there were different levels of whipping that they would do. So on the one hand, there will be a lighter version of whipping, still terrible. But if you were guilty of a lesser crime, and and if you were a Roman citizen, you might get a lesser flogging, though still terrible. But if you're not a Roman citizen, and if you're guilty of a larger crime, it would be quite brutal. Let, Let me explain this type of flogging to us here. So the Romans would use a whip that had these leather straps coming out and embedded at the tips of those strands of that leather strap would be pieces of sharp bone or sharp metal. And as they would whip the person, it would tear into their skin. Now, under Jewish law, you could only get 39 lashes. Under Roman law, they would allow you to be flogged until the soldier got tired. And so they tell us many prisoners were killed even in the flogging itself. So this, these, this instrument of whipping with these sharp pieces of metal and bone on it would tear into the skin. They say oftentimes would reveal bone, reveal even someone's organs. This was how severe the beating was. D.A. Carson, a scholar, makes the case that it's, p- it's possible that there were two floggings that Jesus endured. Maybe a lesser one first. Still horrible. That instrument hitting you over and over again. Still going to be terrible. And, and this might have been done to satisfy these Jewish leaders. All right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rough him up, present him. Maybe that'll be enough for them. But certainly as he's sentenced to the crucifixion, then the more brutal, full-on flogging. Again, that's a possibility here. But here's what we just want to make note of here. Our Savior, Jesus, has endured brutality, and he did it for us. And then what you see is simultaneous to this abuse that he's taking physically, he's being mocked, quite literally, insult to terrible injury. Verse 2 again, And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Jesus whipped and then struck all the while while being mocked. So, this robe that's put on him. Luke tells us in Luke 23, it was Herod who put this purple robe on him, mocking this claim that he is a king. Pilate has him still wearing it. Then, notice this crown of thorns. I grew up in North Carolina. And when I would imagine this crown of thorns, I'm always thinking like a rose thorn. That's the only kind of thorns I knew about. And so if you were to make a crown of thorns for me, made out of the rose stems with those thorns, I, I would hate it. It would be terribly painful, just that. The other kind of thorn I'm familiar with growing up in North Carolina, on those occasions when walking through the woods, briars would scratch me. And uh, if you made a crown of thorns with briars, I'd hate it. I'd probably cry if you jammed that on my head. But I did research into this. What kind of thorns are we talking about here? They tell us these are long spikes of a date palm. And not knowing what that was, just looking it up, went to some pictures online as well. And so these can have thorns up to 12 inches long, quite sharp. Now, then I stumbled upon while researching that, there are current medical articles telling medical professionals how to treat those with these date palm thorn injuries Right now in the Middle East. So these are common. So children sometimes get tangled up in these sharp thorns. And workers can get caught up in these. And they're quite, quite painful. So, so imagine that with we were just talking about Jesus. How he endured brutality for us in that crown of thorns. These, these are large thorns. And so you can imagine profuse bleeding as that was jammed down on his forehead. Cutting into his flesh. Down near his eyes. And here's the point. Jesus allowed that to happen to him. Jesus who possesses all power, all authority did not stop any of that abuse. He truly could have called those 12 legions of angels that he mentioned back in the garden. Here's the question. Why would Jesus allow this to happen? He did it for us and he did it for you. He's giving himself to be crucified for us to make full atonement for all of our sins. Jesus taking the punishment for our sins, a substitutionary atonement. Jesus is doing that. He's giving himself for us. Now, Pilate here hoped that this flogging would be enough. Imagine Jesus all bloodied, mocked and humiliated with this robe on, this faux worship, this crown. He presents him to the people in bloody humiliation. Look at verse four. Pilate went out and said to them, see, I'm bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. And Pilate said to them, behold the man. Pilate hoping, is that enough? He's not not guilty of anything that would be worthy of death. This is surely enough, but it's not enough. This does not satisfy the crowd. So we've been looking at his being beaten and mocked Now see with me that Jesus was hated and rejected by his own people. Verse six, when the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, we have a law. And according to that law, he ought to die because he's made himself the son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, So the chief priests and these other leaders, they have no pity on seeing Jesus bloodied and abused. They're not satisfied at all. They didn't want Jesus just bloodied. They wanted him destroyed. They wanted him out of the way. They wanted him crucified. So we're talking about Jesus. All you do is picture that with me, what Jesus would have experienced stepping out and having the crowds shouting for his crucifixion and that Jesus allowed that this pagan Roman governor had more feeling than these religious leaders. And that charge comes up. They explain to Pilate, listen, he claims to be a son of God. And did you notice here, John tells us that spooked Pilate. Pilate's scared of that. He's, he's now more afraid than ever before. Because we're just trying to get into the mind of Pilate for a second, a pagan there in the Roman Empire, so Roman mythology in his mind. So he's thinking, oh, who is this Jesus? I already don't think he's guilty. And what is he, some kind of magical person? I, I don't want anything to do with this. But then he gets word from his wife. Matthew tells us this in Matthew twenty-seven nineteen says, while he was sitting on the judgment seat, Pilate's wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I've suffered much because of him today in a dream. So he's, he's already scared to handle Jesus. What's happening? I don't want to be a part of this. But Pilate is caught and hemmed in on every side. The crowds are whipped up into a frenzy. He's done his own interrogation. Jesus has done nothing worthy of death. His own wife now is warning him. I had a dream about him. Don't mess with him. But these Jewish leaders, they're threatening to report Pilate to Rome. I want you to hear the pressure that he's under here. Verse 12. From then on, Pilate sought to release him. But the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the stone pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha now it was the day of the preparation of the, of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, behold, your king. They cried out, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, we have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So here we see Pilate, the Roman governor. He caves to the pressure. And did you notice it's political pressure? These religious leaders keep bringing up Caesar. We're going to tell on you to Caesar. We will go to Rome on you and we will tell them. Here you had one who was setting himself as a rival king and you did nothing. This is not going to go well for you. So here's Pilate. He is fearing the crowd. He's fearing this report to the emperor. One commentator explained it like this. The emperor Tiberius was suspicious of the least talk of treason And a delegation to Rome providing the slightest evidence that Pilate had supported a self-proclaimed king would lead to Pilate's beheading. We're told that Tiberius was one of the most paranoid rulers in the first century. We're looking at Jesus, beaten, and he's mocked. He's hated and rejected by his own people. But now let's look at Jesus again. How is he handling all this? See with me the strength and the grace of Jesus. Behold, Jesus. We're looking at Jesus and all we see is beauty when we look at Jesus in the midst of all this evil and all this injustice. The worst treatment imaginable is happening to Jesus and we look at him and he's all good, all holy, all righteous, is all, he's all love. Now, what are you like when you're under stress? When bad things start happening to you, what's coming What's coming out of you at times like that? It, it'll take a lot less to make us start acting in ungodly ways. I bet you're like me. Sometimes you have moments you've been under some stress, nothing like this stress, but you've been under some stress and it leads to some things that you say and ways you act and then you have to apologize to your wife or to your children. Hey, I, you know what? No excuse. Been a lot of pressure and I, I shouldn't have spoken to you that way. Will you forgive me? We've, we've had moments like that for a lot less than what Jesus went through. Listen, I've seen videos of grown men. When their team loses, they're screaming and they'll destroy their own television. There's nothing like what Jesus went through. But people can lose it. All right. And it's not just those people out there, but it, it can be me. I remember years ago. Notice, for my sake, I'm going to tell an old story. <laughs> Failing at this. It's back when I had hair. And uh, when Joy and I were engaged or early married, I can't remember which. We were up visiting her family. And uh, I, was, I was asking her brother, where can I go get a haircut? And so he told me, place. I just misunderstood the place. And so I went to a place that was not the right one. And I remember walking in this place. I still picture it now. There were guys sitting on a bench, kind of waiting for their turn. There were some guys getting their haircut, but there was an empty chair and an available barber. And I thought to myself, I wonder why nobody's choosing that guy. But about the time I'm thinking that, they say, well, he's available. And not to be rude, and I and I did need a haircut. I thought, okay. And I still remember that sensation, like a lamb going to slaughter. I'm kind of, it's kind of surreal. Like, should I be? Should I be? It's all happening so fast. And I sit down, and I still remember that guy. He was wild with the scissors. He he would sit there and he'd clip them in the air like this, and he would talk, and he just went at my head, going after it. And uh, I just remember getting in my car after that. I mean, I paid a lot of money for that haircut back in the day. And I remember looking in the rearview mirror, and it was, it, was terrible. it was terrible. I mean, little stringers hanging down. I mean, it just wasn't done well at all. And so I'm thinking about the money. I'm thinking about a terrible job. I just get mad. So I drive back to Joy's family's house, and, and Joy tells me, well, we can fix it. It's not, it's not so bad. We can fix it. But I'm, I'm, I'm just not liking this. And then Joy's mom. Joy's mom, the sweetest woman I've ever known. She, she tries to tell me, oh, it looks good. It looks good. I knew it didn't look good. <laughs> She's not helping. I don't think I unleashed on her, but, but it, here's the point. After that, losing it over a bad haircut, I had to apologize to Joy. Look, I'm sorry. I didn't, I didn't handle that well. They did make it look fine. And, and to Joy's mom, who, who, who at least didn't act like I really offended her, I still told her, Mrs. Garrigan, I'm really sorry for how I acted. But here's the point. That's dumb. That's little stuff. You can get over a bad haircut. I mean, I can't now, but you could get over a bad haircut. <laughs> but, but here's Jesus being beaten, crown of thorns. Remember all that? Hated, rejected. They're, they're screaming to crucify him. And all we see is holiness coming from him. He's amazing. We're just, we're just looking at Jesus and saying, don't, don't we love him? Is there anybody, you know, anybody like him? So holy, so loving. Notice the silence here again. Verse 10, so Pilate said to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? This is interesting. This is Pilate pleading with Jesus. It's not Jesus pleading with Pilate. It's Pilate saying, Hey, could you help us out here? I don't want to do this. Could you give me something to work with something that I could say? I'm asking you questions and you're not going to help me out here. Jesus knows what he's doing. He's remaining silent. He's not fighting these lies, these false charges. He came to die on a cross. He's, he's going forward with the mission. He's not going to speak up. So he chooses when to speak. He chooses when to be silent. We read the same kind of thing in Matthew twenty seven twelve. But when he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. Then Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Jesus in charge, allowing this whole ungodly process to move forward. He's not fighting it. He's not refuting anything. He speaks when he wants, quiet when he wants, never afraid, not begging. In fact, notice with me again, his restraint. He's allowing all this ungodliness to happen to him. This one who does have all authority, all power, the one who could destroy all these people abusing him in a moment is not doing it. I, I love this. I'm so amazed by his love for us. So this week, meditating all, all this, hours just thinking on this and asking the Lord, Lord, would you, would you help me not just to know this information, but, but I need to feel this. I need to experience this and, and appreciate what you did. So it's pondering lots of facets to this. But I thought about Jesus' restraint, and I was amazed by that. But it also led me to think about these angels themselves. So, again, remember Jesus in the garden after Peter tries to kill a man who's arresting Jesus. Jesus heals the ear, tells him, Put away his sword. But we have a gospel writer that tells us that Jesus said to him, You know, I could call 12 legions of angels and call this off. And remember, a legion was 6,000 Roman soldiers. You multiply by 12, 72,000 soldiers. So, he's, that's a representative number. Jesus can call just un unmatched uh, firepower to deliver him if that had been the plan. So Jesus uses restraint not to call them. But I thought about the angels themselves this week. I thought, what restraint for the angels? I mean, if Peter, a mere man, was willing to take on this arresting force, then what about these angels thinking, whoa, whoa, they're, they're, they're hitting Jesus? These that knew Jesus in heaven before the incarnation, they know he's the king of kings, the king of heaven. And they're, they're, going, they're abusing him. Let's go. And imagine had God released the angels, this angel army. By the way, you do know that angels are not like little spirit fairies. They're not weak and effeminate. The Bible describes them as warlike. They're, they're soldiers. And so, so imagine had God unleashed them. The Roman Empire would have been over that day. In fact, while he's at it, all of humanity would have been done because we all deserve judgment. But this amazing restraint out of his love for us, Jesus taking the abuse, taking the hatred, taking the rejection here. Here's Jesus holstering his power and holding back and standing down the armies of heaven to continue to take the beatings, the crown, and to know it's about to get worse on the cross. Well, the topic of authority comes up. Pilate says to him, will you not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus said to him, you would have no authority over me At all, unless it had been given to you from above, therefore he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. Jesus points to God's sovereignty over all this. That the ultimate sovereign one is God himself. And the only reason Pilate has that role as a Roman governor on that day is because God has allowed it. Jesus, not at all intimidated. He knows where all authority comes from and it's not from this mere man in front of him. By the way, that's true in your life as well. Anybody in authority over you, anybody unjustly treating you, they're not the ultimate say. They're not the ultimate authority. God is the ultimate authority. And even for a season, if you and I experience injustice and difficulties and all that, that's not the end of the story. Judgment is coming. God will indeed deal with all unbelief and all sin. He's being patient to give people to respond to the gospel. But perfect justice is coming from the one who is an ultimate authority. And you're not destined ultimately for injustice and abuse You will live one day, if your faith is in Jesus, on the the new earth. There'll be a new heaven, new earth, and that is our paradise forever. Our sovereign God will see to it that that happens. So Jesus deals with the issue of authority here and who is ultimately in authority. But Jesus also now brings up the topic of guilt. Verse 11 again, Jesus said, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. So when we think about Pilate again for a moment, this Roman governor, we have some level of sympathy for him because we see him boxed in. The truth would be very costly for Pilate. If he did justice on that day, it very likely would have meant that he would then be beheaded by the emperor in Rome. And so we have some sympathy there. Also, we have some sympathy for Pilate, not much, but some for him because he had no exposure to the Jewish prophecies. He's not a Jewish man who would have known all these prophecies fulfilled in this Messiah standing before him. Now, he's still guilty of a grave injustice. He's still participated in the crucifixion of an innocent man. But we have no sympathy whatsoever for these religious leaders. They were blinded by their evil, envious, unbelieving hearts. So Pilate's guilty of sentencing an innocent man to crucifixion for his own self-interest. But Caiaphas, the high priest, is guilty, Jesus says, of a greater sin. He's the high priest. He knew the Old Testament scriptures. He should have recognized that this is indeed the Christ. He should certainly not have participated in jealousy and dishonesty and hatred and murder. All things the Old Covenant would have said are are out of bounds. You can't do that. So can you imagine with me the judgment that Caiaphas, this high priest who, who is all for crucifying Jesus, can you imagine his judgment? The judgment he's already experiencing and the judgments that's to come at the final judgment. Can you imagine being in a spot like that, rejecting the Messiah with all that he should have known? Jesus says, this man is guilty of greater a sin, a greater guilt. But here's a question as we make this personal together here. Are you guilty of a greater sin like that? It's possible for a person here to be guilty of a greater sin than even Caiaphas's sin. Because you know more today than Caiaphas knew on that day. If you were to know what you know today and turn away from Jesus, you're guilty of something even greater than this high priest who failed to trust in Jesus. So consider with me here what you know. You've already heard just today in the beautiful songs we've sung, And just in these verses we've read here in John chapter 19, you've heard the gospel. It's been proclaimed to you that Jesus indeed is the savior of the world. That if you believe in him, you won't perish, but have everlasting life. That's more than Caiaphas knew. You possess in your hands a Bible or on your phone, a Bible. You have the entire completed Old Testament and the entire completed New Testament, the full canon of scripture. You have it, you have all this information. And if you were to say, and I still don't want Jesus, that's a greater guilt, a greater sin than even Caiaphas here, who sentenced, uh, and, and yeah, Caiaphas and Pilate, who sentenced him to the cross. So here's, here's the dilemma for you today. And here's the question today What will you do with Jesus? You have some choices, and we see him playing out here. You can give fake worship like one of these Roman soldiers. Did you notice these Roman soldiers? They were saying the right words Hail, King of the Jews. They just didn't mean a word of it. And they put the crown of thorn on him, they, thorns, and they put the robe on him, mocking him. That could be you today. I just, I'm just here going through the motions. It's just fake worship. Or you can give him outright hatred like these religious leaders. I just want him crucified. I just, I just want to be done with this whole talk about Jesus. And we've seen people do that before. They'll go online on social media and they'll recant, renounce what they were taught. Even some who grew up in this very church have gone on social media. And I don't believe any of it and be quite vicious. But that could be you. That's a choice you have. You could even choose this Pilate's passive rejection. This Roman governor who said a nice thing. I find no guilt in him. But that's still a rejection of Jesus. That's not saving faith that he recognized that Jesus was innocent. Maybe you have your own version of a passive rejection of Jesus. It might go something like this. Listen, I'm glad Jesus works for you. But that doesn't work for me. I got my own spiritual take on things. Listen, if, if, if this whole Jesus thing makes you happy, listen, I'm not against that. That's good for you. I'm a little more sophisticated than that, but if that works for you, that's fine. That's, a, that's an attempt at saying something nice. It's a bit demeaning, but it's an attempt to say something nice. But it's still a rejection nonetheless. Listen, that won't save you. That's still a rejection. We said it last time. Misjudging Jesus will be the basis of your judgment when you stand before Jesus. Say, well, how's he going to judge me on how you judged him? Is he your savior? Is he your Lord? Then the judgment goes well for you. But if you misjudge Jesus, well, he's not essential. I don't need him. I can, I can work my way to be good enough for whatever the afterlife is. Listen, you've misjudged Jesus. And that will be the basis of your judgment when you will be cast away from him. Listen, only Jesus can save you. And Jesus wants to save you. It's why he came. He did not come to obliterate the Romans or these Jewish leaders. He came to save Here's what Jesus said. We heard it earlier, John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God wants to save you through his son, Jesus, and he's the only one who can. First John five twelve. whoever has the son has life. Whoever does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. John 14:6 Jesus said to him, "I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me." Acts 4:12 and there is salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And Romans 10:13, "For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Which brings us back to your response. Oh, today, don't respond like the Pharisees. Don't respond like the Roman soldiers. And don't respond like Pilate here. That would put you on the wrong side of history, indeed the wrong side of eternity. Do you hear that phrase in our culture used? We hear that used as a threat to those of us who believe in Jesus and believe in the authority of the scriptures, people warn us, oh, you, you, you don't want to end up on the wrong side of history. It's a threat that if we don't go along with their radical sexual revolution, redefining everything in our culture, it's so brand new. It's so brand new what they're presenting to us over the last really five to 10 years, this new dogma. And they tell us, if you don't come along with us, let go of that Bible, let go of that savior and come with us, you're going to be on the wrong side of history. Listen, don't believe that. That's not true at all. We will not be on the wrong side of history. If you were to let go of scripture, let go of Jesus and go with them, you'll you'll have everlasting regret. Don't follow this blind, confused culture and don't fear them. Fear only God, because if you reject the savior forever, that'll be an eternal regret. The wrong side of eternity, all this, all of this will be vindicated. Jesus will be vindicated at last. In fact, the resurrection already does. But hear this with me. John 3:36. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Or Revelation 21, verse 7: The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But for the cowardly, the faithless, The detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Well, don't reject the Savior. See Jesus. See that nobody's ever loved you like Jesus, who was willing to take all this abuse for you, and it's going to be worse for him on a cross. But he will be raised from the dead, and he wants to save you. Today, make that your move. Oh, I will. I will not reject him like the others. I will choose Jesus. Listen, and here's how you do that. Ask him to save you. You're recognizing that only Jesus can save me. Only one who lived a perfect life, Jesus. And oh, did he. And he went to the cross and he died a substitutionary death for me. He's raised from the dead, makes it very obvious. This is the one who can save me. And so your move is to trust in him and ask him, Jesus, would you save me? Be my Lord, be my savior. And that's, that's the opportunity for you today to trust in him, to call on him, Yes, to love him like never before and to follow him. Let's pray together. In fact, with your head bowed, would you right now make that your move? Do you see Jesus? Have you seen today how much he loves you? We haven't even gotten to the cross yet, which we'll see next week, but do you see how much he loves you? And would you trust in him? Would you ask him to save you? Would you pledge to him, Lord, I love you above all else and I want to follow you let me pray for us. God, we we thank you for what you've given us in the scriptures so we can have a better glimpse at what you endured for us. Thank you for this opportunity to meditate on your great love for us. And Lord, we pray that you would stir in us great faith in you, great love for you more than ever before. And help us to walk in that love, help us to abide in you all through the week ahead. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.